Welcome to the Raising Smart Kids podcast. I'm your host, Yang Pratt, and each week we'll explore ways in which the arts can help you raise a smarter kid. I'll be sharing ways the arts can propel your child's learning and interviewing top artists, educators, and entrepreneurs. These guests will share why the arts are so very important to your child, along with actionable ideas you can easily implement into your already busy schedule. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast here on iTunes and share us with a friend. For extra tips on raising smart kids, head on over to artsmartparenting.com and click on the live tab. Our guest today is Mary Catherine Johnson. Before we dive into our interview today, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about how we connected. As an author, entrepreneur, and mom, Mary Catherine Johnson has created online success since 2003. A fall while pregnant with her second son landed her with two broken legs, her first book, and her first business. Mary is now using that 13 years of roller coaster family and business success to help parents uncover their entrepreneurial identity so they can create family freedom. And she is now building her fourth business, helping health and beauty professionals do the same. I first heard Mary Catherine on a podcast by one of my mentors. And when I heard her story, I knew I absolutely had to have her on this show. She has been able to take her artistic abilities and create several successful businesses, and now her kids are even following in those footsteps. So thank you so much for being here today, Mary Catherine. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I am, I am absolutely honored and can't wait to dive in. We have so much great stuff to talk about today. I want to go back to the beginning. I know this is a story that I heard on Stacy's podcast, and I really could not believe you were able to make it through this ordeal. Will you share how you started that first business and, and sort of the circumstances behind that? Oh boy, it is a, a very long story, but um, it started with my first pregnancy, which was in 1998. Yes, I'm dating myself. Um, mm-hmm. But that pre- it actually started before that. I, we tried to get pregnant and uh, we tried for about a year and then finally got pregnant and we had a miscarriage. And then we tried for another year to get pregnant and then had another miscarriage almost to the day of the first one. And this was so surprising to me because I come from a large Italian family and I had never heard of this happening ever. I didn't even know miscarriages were possible. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because nobody ever, it just wasn't. I mean, most of the women in my family got pregnant when they didn't want to. Okay. So, um, so it was kind of so hard. Uh, thinking about actually starting a family felt like it was the most difficult course in college I had ever taken. Mm. And so I just, for some reason, I have no idea why, but I went to my Windows 98 computer and I typed (laughs) out a, um, a report card. Okay. So this was a fall semester report card and the first class was pregnancy 101 and I got (laughs) a plus Yahoo. And then the second class was pregnancy prevention and I finally failed that class. And so I took that piece of paper, printed it out on a white piece of paper, and went down to Target, bought a blank white maternity shirt, went down to a sports shop that puts numbers on jerseys, and I said, can you put this 
on this? And they said, sure. And they did it. And I wore that shirt when I finally was pregnant with my son, which was only a month later after mm-hmm. that second miscarriage. And I got so many comments. You would not believe everybody's stopping me everywhere. I have to get that shirt for my daughter. She's a teacher. I, where did you get that shirt? And I proceeded to tell them that I made it and they didn't want to make it. They wanted to buy it. So these light bulbs started going on. And before I could actually do anything with that, I was in bed with early labor. I was actually in the hospital with early labor for a week to to stop the labor. And then after that, it was bed rest. So then life takes over. I have the baby. I don't even think about it again until the next time I'm pregnant, which is three years later, 2001. And I take out that maternity shirt again and get the exact same reactions. And all those same feelings came up. All those same ideas came up. And I started coming up with other designs. Like there are two peas in this pod because I had friends who have twins or there is a pea in this pod. And I had a little pea pod that I grew, um, you know, or don't touch it kicks, right? Or do not open until your birth month with a gift tag, like a, like a oh. Christmas gift tag. I just started coming up with all these designs and I couldn't stop my brain. But by the time I could do anything with it again, first off, I have a three-year-old toddler and I have, uh, I'm pregnant with my second son. I didn't know he was a son at the time, but with my second child. Eight months pregnant, I step out my neighbor's front door and my life absolutely changed because as I stepped out that door, I stepped wrong and started to fall and I tried to catch myself with my other foot, stepped wrong with that Mm -hmm. and proceeded to roll down the remaining three steps of her front porch and I landed with two broken legs. Oh my gosh. And a big, huge eight-month baby hotel sticking out in front of me. So uh, after the shock and, uh, and the, you know, I, what in the world just happened, this can't be. And my husband absolutely did not believe it. I called him and said, you need to take me there. I'm sorry. And he says, oh, come on. You didn't do it that bad. I'm like, you know, honey, um, I'm not prone to site-specific water retention. So I guarantee you these these swellings are not, not something we can ignore. So went to the doctor and I don't think he actually believed that it was anything, you know, he thought I was probably exaggerating until the doctor came in at about um, midnight that night and said, well, you did it good. You broke them both. And I had a, a broken bone on my right foot and a broken bone in my ankle, actually a shattered bone in my ankle on my left. And so I had a cast up to the knee on both legs. One was pink, the other was blue because we didn't know what we were having. So that experience, and I could go into a whole range of issues with that, but that experience alone, when I finally got to the other side of it, had an amazingly healthy, beautiful baby boy, uh, finally could walk get my independence back because I was a fiercely independent, still am a fiercely independent person. I looked back at that and said, if I can do this with my sense of humor intact, I can do anything. And I took that idea from that maternity shirt and I turned it into the first online maternity store ever in 2003. What an amazing story. You know, pregnancy has its challenges already, but to be having to watch a toddler be pregnant and have both legs broken, meanwhile, you're still keeping your sense of humor and thinking about that next step and thinking, gosh, I've overcome a lot, so let's just jump in. After that, everything's easy, it seems. But how cool, though, to be able to then launch the first online maternity store. That must have been such an overwhelming, exciting super amazing day for you when that day hit. 
I can't even explain, but you know, you have to remember back in 2003, we didn't think it was a big deal, right? It was the internet, but it wasn't like it is now where mm -hmm. everything happens there. I just thought I could be the first one to do this. And that's how I basically sold it to my husband, who is a, an, a tax accountant. So he is not the risk taker. You know, he's very, very creative, definitely creative. His, his drawings are amazing. Um, but, but risk is not in his name anywhere. So, uh, so I had to sell it to him that way and say, you know what, this is it. Nobody's doing this, nobody. Mm -hmm. And this is a new environment. And I, before that was a technical recruiter. So I had an edge to a certain extent that I had this pool of people that I networked with that I got jobs for and that I went and packed and tapped that network and said, how do I do this? How do I do a website? How do I find credit card processing? How do I make it look the way I want it to look? How do I put products up? All those things. And I went to all those people and they gave me advice and I went and just jumped in and did it. Um, I look back now and go, how in the world did I find the energy? Because I'm a bit older now. Um, but I did. And I, you know, it just, it didn't seem as big of a deal then as it does now um, because it was all new and everybody was exploring this brand new world. Um, but I remember the day I got the business license. It was in March of 2003 and I was sitting in my car and I called a friend of mine and I just said, oh my God, I just did it. I, I, it's real. I actually have a business and, and from that day forward to November of that year is when all that hard work happened. So it's, it's not a mistake that it's almost the same amount of time it took for me to cook a baby, right? I mean, it's, we're talking around the same amount of time that it took for me to actually birth this thing and make it go live. And luckily, I did it right before the holidays in 2003, November, got it up there, and I got orders immediately. People immediately found it and bought. And then I had even the harder work because then I had to make every single shirt. <laughs> so yeah, looking back, it was an incredible experience, an incredible journey. I am so thankful that I actually did it instead of just continued thinking about it. You know, and that's such an inspiring journey. And this is, this is really what I want parents to understand that being able to take an artistic ability and turn it into a business is absolutely possible. It's not really about you know, learning to draw or how well you draw, but it's about using one's creativity to, like you said, birth this new business. And that's such, you know, such a powerful lesson that we can leave with our kids. Yeah, I have to tell you, this, I don't have, I don't think I have any specific artistic ability, okay? I, um, I didn't draw all these designs. I don't have these, this, these amazing uh, products that I made. I, the, the creativity I had was to see what I had already done for myself. And we're talking Excel spreadsheet, okay? How creative is an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet, right? I, and all I did was make it look like a report card. So I just filled in the fields to make it look like a report card because I had no idea how to do it other than that, okay? So I didn't know how to do that in Word, you know, to try and format the cells. And I didn't know anything about formatting. I just put them in the places I wanted them to look and then surrounded it with a border and there you go. So it wasn't artistic in that sense. I agree with you. All I really did was see how people reacted yes. and then start letting my creative juices come to the forefront going, if they like this, what about this? 
And we're talking don't touch it kicks, right? We're, talk, we're talking the no sign, the red circle with a red line through it. How artistic is that, right? It's just a no sign. And all I did was put don't touch in the middle of that circle. And then on the bottom said it kicks. So it's not, I, I didn't need an art degree. I didn't get a business degree. Believe me, I wish I would have because <laughs> I made lots of mistakes in business, but I was able to have a wonderful husband who's the accountant help me through them. But it, it really is the mindset. Really, I, I believe 100%. It's not any particular talent you have. It's not any particular ability you have. It is your mindset and your choices. I could have just sat there and thought about it and said, wow, this would be a great idea. I wonder if somebody's going to do it someday. I didn't do that. I said, you know what? I've been through this situation. I made it through. I'm still here. I have amazing, beautiful family. I'm going to do this. What, what do I have to lose? Of course, I'll have a lot to lose, right? A home and, you know, my security and all those things. But in my own sense, if I could make it through that, I know I have the strength to handle whatever I need to handle. And we've all made it through something. Don't sit there and think, oh, well, she's special because she made it through that. No, I guarantee you somewhere in your life, you have overcome something. Take that lesson and realize you have the strength to do whatever you want. I am no different than you are. I have to sit on the pot and go to the bathroom and wipe just like you do. So don't think I'm anything different. All right. I don't have gold toilet paper. I don't, right. I am human just like you are. Take that inspiration from something you overcame and use it to change your life. Right. And these are the stories that I feel are somehow missing in mainstream school. You know, kids are being taught these days to follow a certain path. And if you go outside, if you deviate, it's not normal and you get labeled really quickly. So I really think that your message of being able to have a mindset of, of thinking you're able to do these things and making some great choices. And even if you make mistakes along the way, you're learning every single step of the way. But I think kids really need to be able to have a space where they can make mistakes and learn that it's okay, which is why I personally, and you do as well, resonate with arts classes, whether it's music classes or dance classes, because a musician is not made overnight. It takes lots and lots of practice and lots of mistakes, but we get these kids to think outside the box, think about the possibilities and really shift their mindset to saying, I can, instead of I can't. Amen. <laughs> you know, I, I have, and, and we have to continue doing that. It isn't like they become a musician or they become an artist and they, yes, how many wrong notes do we have to play before we get the right notes that were written on the page in the right, and I'm a cello player, so in the right um, sequence, in the right uh, patterns, and you know, in the right tempo, all those, we have to play a lot of wrong notes. So it's not like we just go, oh, we're now a musician, so now we, we can translate that to everything else in our lives and be fine with making mistakes. We don't. We human beings are not wired that way. So I have to constantly remind my sons because they both play uh, musical instruments. We, and that just happened because they didn't want to play sports. It was like, okay, you're going to go through school. I'm not going to have you in five different sports. I definitely don't do that and don't advise that. One only each whatever season, right? That's it. And they tried basketball. One of them tried basketball. One of them tried soccer. They did not resonate with it. And I said, okay, that's fine. But if you're not going to play sports or do something extracurricular, then you're going to have to play a musical instrument. 
And they grew up with me playing the cello and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they were like, and of course I thought for sure they would choose a string instrument. I mean, come on, right? Mom plays a string instrument. Why don't you just choose a beautiful string instrument? No, they choose a trumpet and a trombone. So, um, but that's totally cool. You choose it, you practice it, you learn it, you get better, you have it. You have that skill, you have that ability, you have that outlet. And I have to constantly remind them whenever they're doing something in school, if they get, you know, problems wrong on a test and they beat themselves up for it, I'm like, you know what? That's what school's for. That's what learning is for. If you were perfect, you'd be teaching the class. You wouldn't be learning in the class. Just like your music, when you practice, it's not perfect. And I don't expect it to be perfect. The same thing in everywhere else, everywhere. You're learning to ride the bike. You're learning to cook. You, anything you do, you're gonna make mistakes. And you can use their experience in arts to remind them it's yeah. okay. Yes, absolutely. I remember when my daughter, my oldest was, I think in kindergarten or first grade, she came home, she was so excited about getting a sticker or some sort of reward. And when, we, when I dove deeper into the situation, she was being rewarded because there were no eraser marks on her paper. And I just about had, I, you know, I kind of marched into the school and said to the teacher, absolutely not. You cannot teach my child to be learning by not making mistakes. If she's not making mistakes, to me, she's not learning. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, oh my gosh, I wonder how many other kids face the experience where the expectation is you have to do it perfectly the first time versus a child who studies music or dance or, or paints or draws, who's learning that it's okay. You know, the process is not about becoming this perfect artist. It's about the journey of, okay, we learn this step first and we might not get it right the first time or the first hundred times, but we keep persevering and we push through any of those challenges to get better. And it's not about attaining perfection. Oh my goodness. No, <laughs> if we were perfect, I don't know any, anything perfect. Computers are not perfect. Robots are not perfect. Absolutely. Buildings are not perfect. There's the perfection, the word perfect. I don't, I don't know. I think that should be erased, <laughs> to be honest, because nothing is perfect. Right. There, with I, no I mean, flaws, no, I mean, yeah, I, no, it, perfection is not the goal. I agree. I wanted to back up a little bit to the story about giving your son the choice to play a musical instrument or play sports. I live in a small town where sports really sort of are at the, the forefront of everything. Kids are, you know, going to football games, basketball games, they're doing eight-week courses in basketball, and they're jumping to football, and they're going to wrestling. It's always these small, short, little increments where there might be a little bit of progress, I find, but it's not consistent. What was it about music and the arts that you as a parent said, you know what? Yes, they need to learn those lessons in those classes. Good question. And that comes back to my own experience. Um, I, I was the first person in my family to do anything musical. No one had ever done anything before. And that was completely by accident. Um, when I was in sixth grade, we had just moved to a large city in Northern California from a very small town. We're talking we're, we're talking my, the town I grew up in had a general store, a post office, a train depot, and mm -hmm. a bar. That's yeah. it. That was the whole town. And I would ride from our ranch. We lived on a ranch of 20 something acres with cows and pigs and chickens and horses and, and alfalfa. We grew alfalfa. And so I would ride my bike seven miles mm, wow. to that town 
um, past you know, fields. And so that's the little town I grew up in. And then we moved to Sacramento, California, which was huge to me. And then I saw, of course, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. So it was a sh total culture shock. But when we moved there, when I was in sixth grade, I, um, right before we graduated into, into, we called it junior high school. Uh, now they call it middle school. So before we were going to junior high school, they were trying to, the, the administration was trying to sort us out into different classes and find out which uh, electives we could be, we could possibly take. And so they got us all, all the sixth graders into the cafeteria and they, I don't even, they, some tape recorder or something up in the front of the room, because this was in the 1970s, long time ago. Um, and they, they played us music, you know, notes, different notes, and we had a little score sheet. And we had to score whether the note was higher or lower than the previous note, whether it was louder or softer. I mean, all these different criteria, we had to judge how that, how that music was. And from that test, they recommended whether we take sports and not music or whether we take band, or whether we take orchestra. And somehow they recommended that I take orchestra. And so I got into seventh grade and I didn't even know what orchestra was. Um, I had no clue. I, I didn't know anything about band. And remember, I didn't go to a school that had, you know, marching bands and all those kinds of things. It was a little teeny school. So, you know, it basically two classrooms, two grades in each, in each classroom. Each one teacher taught two grades and the principal taught 12th grade was the class I came from, the school I came from. So it was totally foreign, all of this. And I started seventh grade in orchestra, tried every single instrument. I couldn't do violin, way too squeaky for me. Um, uncomfortable to hold it that way. I didn't, it didn't feel natural at all. Viola was the same thing. And tried cello, I thought it was okay. And then I tried bass, but that was too big. So I landed on cello. And that's it. So, but from that experience, then I grew and kept taking it in seventh grade and eighth grade. And then I got to high school and I got to ninth grade. And I'm a very, even though I'm gregarious and I'm kind of outgoing, I'm very shy in many other ways. And so I'm in the class and I don't care where I'm sitting. So basically the teacher seats us. And I think there were about probably um, 12 cellists in the mm -hmm. class. And so I was like number 11 right? I was way in the back, 11th chair as a freshman. And the teacher one day has a guest come in and with their back to us, we each get a number and we play this piece of music to see where we should sit because some of the students were claiming that the teacher was biased. Okay. I have no clue. I'm brand new to the guy. He's fine to me. But uh, so that's what the teacher did. He had the person come in to judge us blind judge. And so I practiced my little hiney off because I did not want to make an absolute fool of myself. That's it. That's the, only, that's the only goal I had. Don't mess it up and make an absolute fool of yourself. And so I practiced and practiced and practiced and I, gotta, I can't do this and go and be, oh my gosh, everybody's going to laugh. I had dreams, you know, they're going to laugh at me and oh, all that stuff. So yeah, I finally got to it. Finally got to the day, played my piece, oh, a sigh of relief. I played it no mistakes. Everything was fine. You know, didn't squeak and do there. Well, then to come to find out that that blind judge put me in first chair. Wow. As a freshman who didn't even know what orchestra was two years ago in front of everyone. And that, 
you know, I need to get hit over the head to, to have lessons happen to me, right? I don't just learn from seeing. I just got to get hit over the head. That was an absolute knock on the head to say, wow, mm. practicing did that? Wow. And from that moment forward, I vowed to stay there. <laughs> it felt pretty good. That view was nice. So I did. I stayed there for my entire four years. And that experience, that right there is what gave me the dedication to keep my boys practicing. Not the perfection, not the first chair. That was, that was you know, it, it was because I realized practice does that. And I don't have... My, my boys do not have to practice an hour every single day or two hours every single They practice whenever they feel they need to practice, okay? I'm not one of those moms. But I do expect them to practice because you can't get better. You can't learn a skill unless you practice. So that, I think I answered your question, but that's basically what made me realize that whatever they do, and we weren't finding something just for them to do for school and, and then, you know, start with football and then go to soccer and then go to wrestling. Or, no, I was finding, trying to find them something they would stick with yeah. for that very reason. Because I knew if they stuck with it, they would get better. They would learn more. They would be part of a team. All those yeah. things that we all need to learn. So luckily, they landed in music instead of sports. And, uh, and I, I was so happy and still am. I just went to a winter concert last night for my younger son who's 15. He's in jazz band and marching band and symphonic band. And the older son, I'm going to one of his concerts tonight for his winter concert. And he's 18 and in college and studying music. So it is, I, I almost am in tears every single time. The first time, especially that I went to one of their concerts, I just teared up because it, it just brought it all back of what I did. Um, and it was just full circle. It was wonderful. Yeah. And what a wonderful life to grow up in knowing that what you do has value, that you, when you choose your mindset and make good choices, progress just happens. And one of my favorite sayings, I have to tell you, one of my favorite quotes is from um, J.K. Rowling, from a wonderful Albus Dumbledore. I love the Harry Potter books. And it basically, he says, it is not your abilities or your talents that, make, that show who you truly are. It's your choices. And that's total paraphrasing. But it, it, is, it is your choices. It's not your talents or abilities. It's your choices of what to do with your time, your energy, and your talents and, and abilities. Absolutely. And I wanted to go back to something you said about your kids, and that is practice. So I know when I talk to our parents of our students, you know, they'll say, well, you know, the kid, does, like, he doesn't really seem interested. He doesn't want to practice. He doesn't want to do this. And, you know, when I question a little deeper, you know, they're setting those, okay, from 4 to 4.30 every single day, you practice. And I feel like, yes, we want to encourage our children, but at some point, they need to choose for themselves whether or not they want to get better. You know, my, my youngest plays the ukulele and, you know, it's one of the instruments she just loves and she, it just comes naturally to her. Does she practice a lot? No. <laughs> but when she practices, she'll do it for a very long time and she gets very excited about that. What would you tell parents who are listening if their child is just starting on the musical journey and their child does not want to practice? What are some tips and hints you could give to them to make that process a little bit easier? When they were learning to walk, did you set a time between 4 and 4.30 every day for them to practice walking? No, you didn't. You let them explore it themselves. Now, the only thing I did set as a an, as an requirement is 
if I'm going to pay for music lessons for you, <laughs> then, then you're going to practice sometime. And all I will do is ask them, did you practice today? And of course I know because I can hear the trumpet or the trombone. I don't have that huge of a house, right? <laughs> but still, I ask them, when are you going to practice today? Okay. And I did not require it every day. When are you going to practice? And there, you know what? These are creatures and you have to remember people back to when you were this age, okay? Whatever age it is. Mine, most of the time when they first started, it was, it was hard. So they weren't comfortable with it. So it, it, even though it felt good to have progress, they still, it was still difficult. So they didn't practice a lot in the beginning, but I knew the more they did it, the more they continued, the more regular their classes were, or luckily I still live in a school district where music is still part of the curriculum for daily classes. Wow. So I'm very lucky in that. The school I came from that actually started me in orchestra no longer has a music program at all. So none of those kids get any exposure to any music. So yes, I'm very lucky. And, for, and because of that, I am on the board for the music boosters so that I make sure they stay. That, and we're very lucky the administration, the community supports music. So I'm, I'm very blessed. Um, but I would, I would say to you, just keep asking when. Not practice at this time. When are you going to practice? And that does two things. It, it gets them used to practicing, but it also gets them used to being autonomous and responsible for when they practice. Instead of, you, instead of me telling them and setting out their calendar, they also have to do homework. I ask the same thing. When are you doing your homework? You know, and they structure. If they want to have some downtime, have a snack, go play some video games, something like that, go for a walk with the dogs, um, visit with friends, whatever, for say half an hour to an hour when they get home from school and then they tackle their work, I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. As long as they're not up. And of course, this changes as they grow in age. Sometimes there was, there was a time there in the beginning of high school, between middle school and high school, when they'd be up until 11 o'clock <laughs> doing their homework, yeah. right? Okay, that's not an option, all right? So if that's the way you're going to structure your day, I need to intervene and say, okay, let's do this instead, <laughs> right? But I would just ask you, you didn't set a time when your kid was learning to walk for them to practice. Yes. You just let it happen and let it happen naturally as they progress, but guide it as they go. Yeah. And I think sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of us too, as a parent that we sometimes feel like we need to jump in and intervene when really our job is to help them make better choices and see the possibilities of what different choices are going to result in. Believe me, that will help you for when they turn 18 and now are all of a sudden adults and you no longer have access to their health records or medical records. The doctor can call and talk to them and not you. Um, they have their own, you know, if they're going to drive a car, they're responsible on their own. Um, they can vote, you know, so that will help you to prepare for that. Because yeah. that, if you don't, and if you still control all those things all the way up through high school, they're going to hit 18 and you are going to have the shock of your life. Right. Because now they're going to go, tough luck, mom. Of course they won't because they love you and you, hopefully you have a good relationship. <laughs> they're not going to want to just bail and go, I'm out of here. You're too strict for me. Um, so if you've created the environment where it's a collaborative environment, if you've helped them take on responsibilities in a safe, secure environment, which is what home should be to go ahead and make those mistakes, that right there will help you more than anything else set them up for adulthood. Right. And we've talked about so many great benefits of having the arts in your life. We talked about 
raising kids who become more autonomous, who are, more, who are responsible for their learning, who can work collaboratively, who learn to make mistakes and it's okay. Can you tell me maybe one or two of the most important lessons you've learned by being, by being in the arts, in music, and growing up in that environment, something that has helped you and still helps you to this day? I would say one of the things is it kind of piggybacks off what we just talked about with responsibility. Um, it has basically taught me that I do have control over my own fate, so to speak. Mm. So like that practicing situation that landed me in the first chair, that was a real huge lesson for me to say, wow, I actually, I, I, I can't really blame anyone else for anything. That kind of taught me that. Before I could have easily said, well, I'm last chair because, you know, he doesn't like me. Like some of the other students were talking about with the, the director. He doesn't like me. He likes so-and-so better, all those kinds of things. And I'm not negating that that doesn't exist somewhere, obviously. But if I'm going to do my absolute best and I am going to practice my little hiney off and every single day de dedicate the time to do what I have to do, basically hustle. Mm, yes. dedicate that time to do what I got to do, then I have a much better chance of the results that I want than just sitting back and complaining about it and thinking that I, and, and feeling powerless and thinking I don't have any, any say and, and someone else is determining my fate for me, which the school system basically kind of does. Yeah. Um, like your whole eraser situation with your, with your child, you know, that the school system sets that for us. But really, music helps you realize that's not true. You, I have all the power yes. to impact my environment. I have much more power than anyone else. Yeah, and that's such a great lesson for our kids to learn that they are powerful, that what they do is important, and the choices they make help them reach further and further up that ladder they wish to ascend. So that's amazing. Power, power, power. We want to raise powerful kids who go out in the world and become amazing leaders, who create amazing businesses, create jobs. We all want that for our kids. So if we have listeners right now who are thinking to themselves, you know, I, I don't know about this art thing. You know, my kid has art once a week and they have music once a week. And I think that's just enough. What would you tell them about making a choice as a parent to have your child do something more consistent? Um, okay, here's what I would say. As far as I'm concerned, my job as a parent is exposing my kid to as many possibilities and opportunities that I possibly can. Um, I don't know what they want to do with their lives. They have no clue what they want to do with their lives. This is, you know, the first 18 years we know is in no way going to determine exactly what they're going to do for the rest of their lives, unless they follow a blueprint I've set out for them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be a lawyer and by gosh, we are lawyers in the family. You're going to be a lawyer. Okay. That's not the kind of family I have, that's not the kind of kid I want to raise. So if I want to raise a kid that, that really wants to explore their own options and their own opportunities and kind of start a little ahead of, of where I started, which to me is what I'm trying to do, because mm -hmm. uh, we all come along and hopefully I'll start my kids a little further along than I was, make it a little easier. They still have things they have to overcome and do, but at least they can start a little farther than I did. Um, and in order to do that, you have to expose them to many different things. 
um, I, I exposed them to sports and said, this is how sports works. That wasn't quite comfortable. I exposed them to music, said, this is how music works. They enjoyed it. They enjoyed being part of the group. They enjoyed playing it. Um, didn't enjoy practicing all the time, like we've already talked about, but still came to it that when they needed to practice and wanted to practice by high school, they, they had it done. Middle school, that's just such a mess of hormones and everything. Please don't make decisions then. <laughs> it's just, it's such a mess, right? Everything's happening. So don't make your decision, your lifelong decisions in middle school, okay? Let them get over it, get into high school, start getting into their own skin. We, we expose them to different traveling situations, different cities. We just went to our first trip to Europe this last summer, exposed them to their ancestry. We took our DNA uh, test and found out was what ancestry was in our DNA beyond what we thought was there from family lore. Um, and we went and visited those countries and gave them the opportunity to decide what we did in the country they chose. Mm. So that's, you're exposing them to different things. And how can they decide how can they make decisions for their lives unless they have input yeah. and information? And if I only give them this small sliver of information because this is all I know and this is all I've ever done and this is all my family's ever done, if I only give them that small sliver, they're going to choose from that little piece, that little sampling. But then they're going to go out into the world and see all these other things and they're probably going to be a little ticked at you <laughs> because you didn't show them all these other things that are way beyond yeah. that small little piece of the pie that you showed them. Show them as many things as you can to help them see what opportunities they have. And music, yes, they might only do it once a week, but if you go more, that will, they will see what opportunities they have. Go to concerts. Don't just take that once a week and say that's all the music they need. Go to concerts. We have an amazing, um, many amazing theaters around us. And we live in a decent met metropolitan area. Um, but we have, we have, we go to concerts every year. Um, and we invest, we take our money here again. It's a choice. I choose to invest my money in those experiences, not things. Okay. My husband just left for work in a, in a, um, uh, almost 20 year old car. Okay. Cars, the latest car is not important to me. The experiences are very important to me because that is what lasts. I, I have memories and I am broadened. I, am, I grow from the experiences I have, not from the things I buy. So if you're looking to spend your money, spend it on an experience for them and open their eyes and open their heart to the possibilities. Yes. Because this is the only life they've got. Make it amazing. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And I love that you use the word investments. It is not a cost or an expense. We are investing in our kids. We are not even investing in them now. We're investing in their future selves and who they're going to become. So I want to make sure that my listeners have a way to connect with you, to follow up with this conversation, because we talked about so many amazing things about how the arts and being artistic and being able to see possibilities has led you down this amazing entrepreneurial path. And now your oldest son is following in your footsteps. How, what is the best way for my listeners to connect with you? Well, I have several different businesses now from that first and that first is still going strong. I'm so proud of that little thing. Um, but uh, you can connect with me on any of the social media platforms. Uh, if you like Twitter, then you can find me at Parent 
ePower. If you like Facebook, you can connect with me at Parent Entrepreneur HQ. If you like Instagram, again, that's Parent ePower. You can uh, go to my website, parententrepreneurpower.com. Um, you can check out that first business of maternity. It's still there. It's called Mommy Loves with an S.com. Or you can email me directly. I love chatting with people. Obviously, you can tell I love to talk. <laughs> so anyone want to ask me any questions or, or start a conversation or share your story with me, I would love to hear it. You can email me directly at mary at parententrepreneurpower.com. Awesome. Well, so many ways to connect with you. And so I hope my listeners really reach out to you and continue this conversation that we've had today. I think we may need to do more conversations in the future because there's so much more to dive into about this very important topic of the arts and helping parents raise smarter, more confident kids who become leaders for the next generation. So thank you so yes. much for being here today. Thank you so much. Yes, we have to talk again because we need to talk about my older son who's studying music now and decided to make that a field when he didn't have any clue what he was going to do just six months ago. So yeah, I would love to come Absolutely. on and chat. Absolutely. Thank you for this platform. You're doing amazing work. Keep it up. And uh, yes, thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll be in touch and we'll connect again very soon. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Raising Smart Kids podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share us with a friend and head on over to iTunes and leave us a review there and let us know you're enjoying the show. If you're looking for more tips on raising smart kids, head to Amazon.com and pick up a copy of my first book, Raising a Superhero, How to Unleash Your Child's Eight Superpowers and Propel Learning Through the Arts. Thanks for allowing me to be your guide on this parenting adventure, and I look forward to catching you next time.